Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I've got an amazing guest for you today. Her name is Suzanne Shug. She's the CEO of Teleplus Healthcare. Suzanne has over 20 years of experience in multiple healthcare sectors. She's developed a new innovative insurance company. She's implemented and expanded preventative cardiovascular clinics, assisted in the management of hospital systems, and remains a hands-on healthcare provider. Suzanne continues to teach all aspects of adult medicine and future tech in medicine at Rutgers University, where her program is ranked number seven in the U.S. As a pioneer in telemedicine, she's implemented telemedicine services in hospital systems, clinical settings, and doctor's offices. She was elected as a fellow of the National Lipid Association, one of the highest and most prestigious rankings in the organization. Suzanne was the director of preventative cardiovascular services at a large multi-specialty medical group, where under her direction, the clinic grew to outproduce any other clinic in New Jersey. She's practiced various aspects of cardiology in and out of hospital settings and established a preventative clinic. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast, Suzanne. Thank you for joining us. Sal, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and, and sort of tell my story. So, And we're excited to hear it. So did I leave anything out of your intro that you wanted to share with the listeners? No, I mean, so right now I'm working at a cardiology clinic at NJ Cardiology Associates, which we are in various different offices in, in New Jersey, all the way from uh, West Orange, Belleville to Tom's River. So we're all over. And I'm one of the few lipid specialists in New Jersey. And then I also teach it at Rutgers in my spare time as, as well as also run a telemedicine company. So I'm very passionate about healthcare to say the least. And that's sort of why I want to share my thoughts and feelings as to um, what's going on in healthcare, why we need to fix it, and um, how I think we can fix some of it. Love that, Suzanne. And uh, as far as spare time, I don't know how you have any of that. <laughs> I think we're all busy. We're just busy in different ways. And, and uh, this is where my passion lies. So I'm, I'm fortunate to have supportive uh, family members, a uh, husband and uh, family members that, that believe in me. So that's awesome. Yes. So important. So important. So Suzanne, take us back to the genesis. Why did you decide to get into medicine? 
I think as a kid, I was always helping people. So it, we just always knew that I was going to do something. I sort of veered off and, and went into a business degree first and then figured out, wow, this is really boring to sit behind a desk all day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so quickly went into um, medicine, but I went in actually into nursing first because I, you know, I thought that was where I, I wanted to be. It was, I was a bedside nurse for a couple of years and went back and got my master's and became a nurse practitioner. And then was like, you know, I need to do more. And then came, went back and got my doctor and then became a, a lipid specialist because there really isn't many of them in the country, never mind the world. So um, focusing on prevention and trying to prevent disease or prevent reoccurrence, which I think is really important. So I think that's where telemedicine plays a big role. And, and everybody thinks of oh, telemedicine, that's this crazy thing that you do. You're talking to a provider over over the computer, over your telephone, it's pretty, you know, distant. But the way we we sort of focus on telemedicine is we want to connect our patients with their current providers. So our goal and why we're so different from everybody else is that we want to make sure that our patients continue seeing their providers. And what my company does is give the doctor's offices the software and the ability and the training to be able to care for the patients they're already providing care to, to provide chronic care management, which is as we all know, a, a huge issue with our new, what I call the silver tsunami, the baby yeah. boomers. Yeah, super interesting, Suzanne. And thank you for sharing sort of how you began. Very intriguing that you decided to go and, and get your, your doctorate in, in lipid management and just studying it. I'm intrigued. So what would you say to the listeners, right? What's one common misconception about lipids that maybe they need to know? So everybody thinks it's their diet. Everybody uh -huh. thinks that they're doing something wrong. And most of lipids is actually genetic. Yeah, you can do really bad things with your diet. Like I tell some of my patients, like, stop eating like a five-year-old. <laughs> you know, like, stop drinking three liters of Coke a day and your triglycerides will normalize. But a lot of times if your family members have early heart disease, you really need to be checked for that. And there are certain risk factors that you can look at and there are certain blood tests you can do to really see if you have that same genetic. So... Mm -hmm. There's different types of familial hypercholesteremia that you have to, to worry about. And no matter what you do, you can't get your, your numbers down in, unless you take medicines or do something else. So that's just important to know. So, you know, that's scary. So that's where my passion is for preventative medicine and then um, chronic care management within the telemedicine. Ah, super cool. Now, tell us in this space, uh, Suzanne, what's a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys addressing it? Hot topic, I think, is artificial intelligence, blockchain, and telemedicine. And, and I can tell you, um, being in the healthcare arena and being also married to a physician, they're all scratching their head and going, oh my God, don't throw any more technology at us. That's really, I, I think all the providers are extremely overwhelmed today treating patients because of the EMR and the technology they have to deal with. So you get a lot of physician and provider burnout, and then you get a lot of bad patient care because there's just not enough time to take care of patients. So it's a real problem. I don't know if you have a primary care doctor or tried to find a primary care doctor lately. Do. They're oh, really yeah. hard to find because there's not many of them left. And if they are, their practice is full. So there's a real dilemma that's going on in, in medicine and the, you know, not only the primary care doctors, but some of the other doctors are forced to see patients every five, 10, 15 minutes. It's just crazy. You can't, you can't see patients effectively that way. And providers shouldn't be forced to do that, but that's what's going on in this country. And if half that time is being spent behind an EMR, then you only get a fraction of that five minutes, right? 
Absolutely. So it's bad and the providers have to then check all these boxes and do all these other things that they're responsible for. And it's just the patient care amount of time is just going down and down and down and patients are really feeling it. So they're feeling really disconnected. So one of the things we're trying to do with our telemedicine is actually connect the patients with their providers and their healthcare teams. So what we do is we we go in and we actually train the office on how to how to treat patients. So we've come up with certain logarithmic aspects to to manage chronic care. So I know you've talked about congestive heart failure in the past on, on some of your podcasts. So I think it's yep. just a hot topic because so many people get readmitted for congestive heart failure. Failure. Mm-hmm. I think the rate is something like 23% across the nation in the first 30 days after discharge. So almost a quarter. Insane. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's expensive. Well, it's insane because they're sick, right? So yeah. we know that there's certain things that these patients experience that get them back into the hospital. So like they have shortness of breath when they lay down, they don't feel well that day, they gain weight, their blood pressure is too high or too low because they have too much medication or too little. So we've basically taken a set of seven questions on a tablet that's very easy for like an 80-year-old to do. And based on those questions in the back, it puts them into a red, yellow, or green box. So their providers can effectively manage people with chronic diseases in a much more efficient way and get care to the people that really need it. So the sick people really get the care first Mm-hmm. And they're effectively managed. And then we incorporated a HIPAA compliant video conferencing built into the system. So the provider can call the patient right on their tablet with all the other stuff built in. So we've essentially locked down the tablets that we're using so they can't get any viruses or go surfing elsewhere. I don't want to nice. where people go surfing. <laughs> That's so key, especially today with the issues in cybersecurity being such a big deal. As it relates to that, there's no doubt you guys are approaching this telemedicine space differently. And so with that, you've locked down these, these laptops, anything else that people need to be thinking about as it relates to cybersecurity when they're implementing telemedicine platforms? There's a whole list of things. So if you are a new tech company and you're becoming HIPAA certified, you you need to go through a whole list and actually have someone do what we call a penetration test. And we do that every three months. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So the HIPAA security stuff is about, if you start off, it's it's somewhere around 250, 300 pages of documentation to begin with. So it's a lot of work and it's getting harder because of the increasing threats. So that's one of the things the other thing is you have to make sure your line is secure. You have to make sure your computer's secure. You have to make sure your your laptop's locked up. We actually have our, our tablets actually have a security device on it. And then we actually um, sit Amazon with another security device, uh, another, we call it CloudWatch that Amazon sells on top of the cloud. And then we also have secure oh. communication. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of security that has to go into it. And then you have to keep up with it. Because we have always changing all the time. Yeah. This is a great topic. And listeners, as you've heard, Suzanne and her team keep on top of these things. If you're running a telemedicine company, you got to make sure you've got redundant practices in, in place to make sure you, you, you avoid these types of cyber attacks. And one of the things that I heard uh, from a guest about a month ago, Suzanne, is if you're compliant, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. Absolutely. So we, I'll give you another example. Like we download information from, we're doing, we're monitoring sleep apnea so with devices from different companies like ResMed and Philips. Well, we mm-hmm. take their data, a patient 
puts down their sleep apnea machine or the CPAP machine, the data goes up to the cloud. We take that. If ResMed or Philips, and I'm not saying they do, they're very secure, but uh, I'm just saying, God forbid they ever had a leak, a data leak, they could transfer that to us. So it's not just us, it's other people we communicate with. There's a lot to think about. No, there really is. There really is. And, and so it sounds like you guys are definitely ahead of the game on this. When you're seeking a telemedicine provider, folks, you want to make sure that you ask them the questions that Suzanne just walked us through. So if you need to re-listen to that, just hit the rewind button on that podcast. You'll be able to to hear it again. Um, Suzanne, didn't mean to go down a rabbit hole with that one, but it, it's okay. uh, definitely a, no, no, no. definitely a topic of interest for a lot of people, I think. Until I did it. So I actually did the whole HIPAA security, HIPAA training myself. Uh, we hired an outside security team, but cybersecurity team, but I actually did it myself because I wanted to understand it intimately. I understand it as a healthcare provider, but it's a whole different aspect to to understand as an IT provider. And I was very afraid of it until I actually got to know it piece by piece. So it's important to understand it. For sure. Yeah. No, thank you for walking us through that. So let's get back to the clinical application. So you were discussing some of these logarithmic just approaches that you're taking. Can you give us an example of how you and your organization have created results and improved outcomes by doing things differently? I think number one is that the patients are comfortable with us. So number one is they don't get overwhelmed by the amount of data that we're throwing at them. We keep these questions extremely simple. Mm-hmm. So um, we they get the same questions. They talk to the same nurse every day. So there's consistency, there's simplicity, there's IT help. So our IT help actually calls the patient. The nurses actually contact the patient. So there's a lot of continuity of care. So the patients have a level of comfort with it. The patients that are not sick don't get contacted. Mm-hmm. So you avoid patient burnout and you avoid provider burnout, which is very important as well because, because people don't realize that if you're contacting patients every day, you're, you're going to burn them out. They're not going to want to do it every day. So these patients do it on their own. We, we tell them that there's a set time in the morning. Hey, can you answer these questions between the hours of six and nine? That way our, our nurse can check their dashboard at 11 to 12 and then deal with all the patients that are, are really sick at that time. That way they can, they can manage a whole bunch of patients, but get to the ones that are really sick first. So we create continuity of care, a, a caring environment where they actually know people's first names and know who they're talking to. We actually have good video quality. And then we also have what we call peripherals. So we have blood pressure cuffs, we have scales, we have pulse oxes. We have all those things. Um, we actually have a Bluetooth nebulizer. So all those things can take in data that we can remotely pick up and are able to evaluate from the patient's home. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's actually very cool. But so that, that lets us know whether the patients are, are running into trouble. And just by knowing where patients usually sit, meaning their own individual blood pressure, we can customize it to each patient. So it depends on how, how sensitive the patient is, we can tweak the algorithms. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, Suzanne. Now, now, what if somebody doesn't take the questionnaire that morning? Do they rise to the top as noncompliant and you, they follow yep. up with them? Yep. So then we call them. So there's a dashboard that, that basically we are, if you look on our website under specialty care, we have a dashboard there. It says, you know, number of responses, people who haven't responded, and then how many people are in the red, yellow, and green box. And then also if patients have questions, they can text in questions through the secure portal so we can answer them as well. So Love that. yeah, so it's, it's all good. So it goes, you know, by priority. So the red boxes are most important, followed by the yellow boxes, and then by the non- 
the people who don't answer and then followed by the questions. So, and we tell the patients that. So they have some knowledge of when they're going to get a phone call or when we're going to get to them. So if they have a question, they understand that that's probably not going to be answered till at least 3.34 o'clock in the afternoon. Gotcha. Very nice. So the expectations are set and everybody knows what to expect. Absolutely. And I think that's just about communication with the patients. So the patients have a clear understanding of what's going on. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Now, Suzanne, you haven't always had it figured out. There was a time. Definitely not. And we're still figuring it out. (laughs) It's a journey. And so can you tell us of a time when you had a setback and what you learned from that setback? Oh, we've had tons of setbacks. I would think the biggest thing, obviously, is is funding. I think people think mm-hmm. that startups funding is easy, especially if you're a health tech company. Funding is hard. I mean, people really want an established company. They um, even know, you know, I have background in setting up telemedicine. Um, we have a partnership with UPenn. We have one of the obesity fellows on from John Hopkins. People want guarantees, and it's it's difficult. There's no guarantees when you're dealing with a startup. So. I think startup funding has gotten much more difficult. That's been um, our biggest setback is, is yes, we're getting funded here. We're getting funded here. We get this amount of funding. Funding is never on time. So if you're listening and you are a startup, funding is never on time. (laughs) And and people promise their lives away. I think that's the biggest setback because it limits our scalability. So when when funding is delayed, it, it definitely limits our scalability. So what have you done to circumvent that hurdle? Suzanne, like, what would you recommend for listeners to do? We made a lot of friends. So we've actually partnered with one of the largest telemedicine companies that does EMRs in Asia right now. So these mm-hmm. were going into the um, Asian market for sleep apnea. So they have mm-hmm. 80% of the market share in, um, yeah, in, in Taiwan and 30% in China. But so they have a interest in getting into the US market and they also have an interest into going into sleep apnea. So that they had something that they were interested in that we have and we have something that they have that we're interested in. So it's just about finding that synergy and, and how you can work together. And I think the other thing is working with really good people. I think everybody gets burned out there. I think working with good quality people and I'm lucky to have finally found the team that we have. We have really hardworking, good quality, well-educated people. That's awesome, Suzanne. Great message. Listeners, take these notes and take action because Suzanne just kind of shared some real gold nuggets with us, you know, don't always rely on those traditional routes for funding. You got to be creative, make relationships. I mean, this telemedicine company from China that they teamed up with is not a cookie cutter approach, but it worked. And you all have to take note and, and do the same thing. Think outside the box and you'll be surprised what you find as far as funding. What would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences has been, Suzanne? I think starting starting the uh, telemedicine company in uh, the CHF program in NJ Cardiology Associates, we're really working hard. I think that partnership with the University of Pennsylvania, um, Dr. Pack and and his team, uh, Liz Nealon, are, are, they're really good people and they've worked really hard. So I think our educational piece, we've come up with 20 plus online modules to educate providers on how to take care of patients with sleep apnea. It's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Now, these educational modules, you guys offer them for free. You offer them to your customers. How does that work? We have a couple different models, but right now we're partnering with hospitals. And when we partner with hospitals, their staff get it for free. Nice. Um, and then um, we also partner with other doctor's offices and nurse practitioners and techs. And when we do that, they come with like a package deal. So we. Okay. 
trying to implement um, sleep apnea management systems. So we offer the education with that. Love it. So if if the listeners sort of are intrigued right now and they want to learn more, how do they get more information? So you can go to our website. It's www.teleplus, T-E-L-E-P-L-U-S, H-C. H-C is for healthcare, but we Mm -hmm. just, we didn't want to make it that long, .com. And so um, we just have the contact. You can either give us a a buzz or you can email us. We'll be more than happy to reach out to you. Love that. Teleplushc.com. Listeners, we'll provide that in the show notes as well. So don't worry about remembering it, but it's easy to remember just in case. What would you say an exciting project right now within Teleplus that you're focused on is, Suzanne? So I think the sleep apnea in Asia is amazing. So are you guys going out there to work on that stuff or what? Well, because um, sleep apnea in Asia is, is almost untouched. Most of the sleep apnea in Asia is un, is untreated and it's about 42% of Asians, unfortunately, because their their cranial facial muscles have sleep apnea. And so they they really haven't touched the market on home sleep testing. They really haven't touched the market on CPAP, APAP, you know, all these different management styles that they need to do. And they really don't have a lot of sleep centers. So you have this whole population, and China's huge. They have this whole population of untreated sleep apnea. So I think that's one huge thing in the States what we're really focused on, what I'm very, very excited about is we're working with a doc from John Hopkins and we're, we're really working on doing a model for obesity, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be huge because we know, unfortunately, how heavy or whatever you want to use, whatever nice word you want to use for, we know how heavy our, uh, the U.S. has gotten as well yes. as around the world. So we've developed the model through telemedicine as well as text messaging, as well as in-person with health coaches, nutritionists, and exercise physiologists to sort of help these people. Well, I think that's really great. You've centered on some really core applications here, and I think that's super important for the growth of any company. So I'm excited to see where you guys go with this, Suzanne. Thanks. We are too. I mean, I think the key message is we really do want to improve healthcare. And as a provider, I I really care about patients and want to make things better because I I don't think we can continue down the same road we're going. Totally agree. So on that note, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 of Suzanne. And we're going to write a syllabus for the listeners. I've got four questions for you, lightning round style, followed by your favorite book. You ready? Okay. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? To actually listen to your patient's needs. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not understanding the technology and how the technology works together. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Lots of reading and upkeep with the latest technology and journals. You have to be up on it. Totally. And finally, what's the one area of focus that should drive every health organization? Improving patient care. Suzanne, what's your all-time favorite book that you'd like to recommend to the listeners? It's funny. I'm trying to think of the... um, Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Have you have you read it? Ah, great one. Love it. Yeah, I just uh, I think it's got a good amount of life lessons, but that the ten thousand hours I think really rings true for a lot of things. Yeah, such a great call. You got to be in it for a while to really get good at it. Listeners, the outliers, all the things that we discuss on this syllabus, as well as a full transcript of Suzanne and I's discussion, you could find all of that at outcomesrocket.health/slash. 
telemedicine. And uh, Suzanne, this has been a blast. I love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you. I think the closing thought is um, we really want to improve healthcare and we really do care about what happens to you know our patients and society going forward. I think that's important. The best way to get in touch with me is that my personal email is sshugg at teleplus, T-E-L-E-P-L-U-S-H-C.com. Or you can get in touch with me through our website, www.telepluschc.com. Outstanding. Suzanne, it's been a pleasure to, to chat about telemedicine, cybersecurity, and outcomes with you. I think we covered a lot today. So really appreciate the time you, you took to highlight some of your experiences and, and help the listeners walk through better outcomes and business success for themselves. So big thanks to you. Thanks, Al. I so appreciate you having me on the show and uh, getting the time to actually talk about what I think is important in healthcare. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.